Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I know we see remarkable things in policymaking all the time, and politics is, you know ugly beast but have you ever ever seen anything quite as remarkable about this where there is so little justification from any direction and when arguments are put against it the rebuttal does not take them down it doesn't matter what your ideological position is you can make an argument against against this gas plant if you can look into the facts and listen to what the experts have to say have you ever seen anything like this before Hello, lovely people of pods. Welcome to the show. You are with Catherine Murphy, the host and a political editor of Guardian Australia. And I am so delighted to be with my very, very dear friend, fellow ginger. <laughs> Adam's looking at me in absolute mortification. It's always I am my with favourite Adam introduction when you start with my hair colour. It's great. <laughs> Adam feels violated. Anyway, we're off to a cracking start. I am with Adam Morton, uh, the environment edit- editor of uh, Guardian Australia, and we we couldn't help ourselves. This has been a week where we felt that we needed to have a therapy session on the podcast and invite all of you to join us because this is the week where we've arrived at taxpayers building a power plant. Well... Yes, a power plant and a fossil fuel power plant to boot in in twenty twenty one. Yes, <laughs> which is quite so something. Anyway, I think. it's uh yeah. Anyway, as I was preparing for this conversation, I wrote a note on my notebook, and the note says, "Is there even a beginning with this story?" It's it's sort of it's a rhetorical question, which which just means. Look, we've got we've been <laughs> we've been in this crazy zone for the best part of fifteen years, and the crazy zone of the last fifteen years have have led us to this point this week. But it's it's almost too big a question to start with, Adam. Like, yeah, how, what is the beginning of this story? I mean, that's uh, you know, it, it's it's impossible to know where to start. You can certainly begin with. Australia has a fossil fuel economy to some extent and what do you know our politicians are largely captured by industry and see it through their framework I think if you pull back from the detail that is the 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 massive backdrop here but in terms of where we start particularly with why we're building a gas plant maybe the right starting point is when Scott Morrison took over as prime minister in late 2018 and any suggestion that we were going to have an overarching national energy policy died mm. with Malcolm Turnbull's prime ministership. 
and we've been lurching. Would you describe? Is, it even, is it even a lurch? Well, you know, is it even so much as a lurch? But we've been moving in this direction ever since. I think. Ever since. Well, that's, yeah, that is that is my over, overly worked rhetorical point, but it's sort of like we've been sort of building up to this for a period of time. Now, just before we launch into a much more structured and linear conversation about what has occurred this week and why it matters, we shouldn't assume too much knowledge. If you've missed the news this week, where we've arrived at is that taxpayers through Snowy Hydro will build a gas peaking plant at Curry Curry in the Hunter Valley. And the purpose of this development is to provide dispatchable energy to the market once the Liddell, ageing Liddell coal-fired power station in the Hunter uh, shuffles off this mortal coil. So just in case, unlike <laughs> Adam and I, you've missed that entirely, let's just do that first. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. So, so now we'll get into the whys of all of this. So... What is the rationale for this development, Adam? Uh, Well, Angus Taylor, the Energy and Emissions Reduction Minister, says we once the Liddell coal plant shuts, which is a very old creaking coal plant that's going to shut in early 2023, when it closes, we need 1,000 megawatts of capacity. So that's a significant amount of energy generation power in New South Wales, in that area where Liddell's been to replace it, and it has to be what we call dispatchable power, which is basically electricity that we can call on whenever we need it, and therefore not solar and wind, but some other form. And uh, Taylor's justification for that is that we need it... Well, he kind of initially said we need it to keep the lights on. The government's kind of dropped that argument now, but now says we need it to keep prices down for punters and business um, once Liddell shuts. Yes, and we'll we'll get into the price argument in a tick, but does this broad rationale that we need X amount of megawatts of dispatchable energy to replace the Liddell power station when it shuffles off, does that make sense? Well, not according to anyone you can find who can talk to this who works in energy markets and certainly and or largely in the energy industry. Look, it doesn't make what's remarkable about this, Murph, is that it doesn't make sense from a myriad of directions. It's not like here is an <laughs> argument against it. It is which way do we want to turn to see if there is an argument for it and there is a strong argument against it on multiple fronts. And so we've had over time different arguments made for the need for more gas power, more gas power to replace Liddell. And they've all been knocked down with really coherent arguments that haven't been addressed. And yet here we are. So, but look, to run through them quickly, which we probably should, I guess, do we need it to keep the lights on? The Australian energy market operator, which runs the system, says no. Um, uh, There's no gap. Um, By the previous standard they had for reliability, there will be no gap in New South Wales for the rest of the decade. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. now, people can talk about what that whether that standard is the right standard, but that's a pretty clear statement. There was a study, a task force set up by the New South Wales and federal government to look at this very question, and they found we did not need a thousand megawatts of extra capacity. They mm-hmm. found we needed a much smaller about one hundred and fifty four megawatts, and that that's already coming from other sources, and there have been other commitments subsequent to that. So we don't need it to keep the lights on. No. no, and according to the government's own, well, 
market operators, experts, we don't need it. What about, though, the... Just let's just take one step back before we get into the price argument, which we foreshadowed a second ago. Just again, for people who aren't intense nerds like us following with sort of almost religious devotion every element of climate and energy policy in Australia, why don't we just sketch out what is happening in the energy market at the moment? Because it's really quite profound what's going on and people may not be aware of the sort of backdrop to this this sort of crazy chaos that we're talking about here. So what's going on in the energy market at the moment? Well, it's going under a, a massive transformation away from being a system that has run largely on coal. Big power plants, a few of them across the country in different places, to a system that's going to run on solar and wind, which is much more distributed, doesn't run around the clock, runs mm. when it's got its power source provided. And we saw a bunch of coal plants shut over the last 15 years or so. That sort of slowed partly through government action in the last few years, but we're going to see a real rush in the next 10 to 15 years where a lot of coal, if not all of it, will exit the market. And we'll see a lot more solar and wind being built, and it will fundamentally transform how the electricity grid works. And because of the nature of solar and wind, we're going to need dispatchable power to back that up. Yes. Which... And, and there's a real risk that, well, not a risk, there's a reality facing coal that it can't make money anymore. It's just not, it can't yes. compete with cheap solar and wind. And so we're, we're seeing it pushed out of the market potentially much faster than what the owners of the coal plants have told us will be the case. Yes. And this is useful to foreground in the conversation because, again, this is informing some of the decision-making that we're seeing, that at the moment, because the transformation in the energy market is running at a pace and is so profound, and the economics of the in energy industry have changed so fundamentally in a very short period of time, there is a certain amount of concern at the regulator level that we might see a disorderly stampede of coal out of the market because picking up your point from a minute ago, Adam, that they're, that they're priced out of the market, as well as these assets being clapped out, old, old assets, they're also being priced out of the energy market by firmed renewables, which is a much... Right. Which, so that's, that's some of the context. In So, yeah, solar and wind backed by storage is now the cheapest form of energy. And we should make the point that a lot of these coal plants, while we talk about them potentially being forced out early, some of these plants, are, they are really old and creaking and they've had their lives extended beyond what we might have reasonably expected anyway. Mm. We've been milking these plants. So, you know, this change was always coming and now it's happening at a, at a potentially much quicker pace than what we've been told by political leaders and the market operate, well, the, the, actually the electricity companies, um, because, you know, coal is really facing a reckoning. Yes. And, a, and, and, you know, the backdrop of that, of course, is there's an imperative to actually shut them for a climate change perspective to reduce emissions. But even if you remove that, coal doesn't make economic sense anymore. Yeah. So, okay, so we've, we've sort of plotted a few points in the firmament then that, that sort of gives some context to the gas plant in the Hunter. Uh, now we can. Now I think we can go to price comfortably. I mean, okay. you've referenced that point that firmed renewables is currently the cheapest option, which is sort of remarkable when you think about where things were 
even five, six, seven years ago. But anyway, so the, the economics has shifted. The government in committing taxpayers to building this gas plant has said various things through the week, this week. The gas plant's needed to keep the lights on, as you said. The gas plant will develop cheaper, more reliable power. It wasn't quite as bad as the gas plant or make you a cup of tea and change <laughs> change your sheets. But anyway, we've had various... It will re- solve all our problems exactly. and make sure that we have affordable bills, which is a big commitment of the governments, which we should acknowledge, yeah, right? Yeah. That is, they have promised to get bills down. Yes. Right? Apparently, this is going to deliver cheaper electricity. But look, um, sort of how... <laughs> Well, the remarkable thing about that is we're saying that so gas is the most expensive form of electricity we have in the grid. Mm -hmm. It's more expensive than coal, far more expensive than solar and wind. So on the surface, that'd be a hard argument to land, I would have thought. The argument the government makes is that more competition is good for price. If we have more generation, it's good for price. And the private sector hasn't been building dispatchable power that we can call on when we need in New South Wales. So that's a problem. And we need to step in. Unfortunately, at the moment, we have gas plants in the system. One, actually, as it happens, owned by Snowy Hydro that run at about 1% of the time. Mm. And this current plant that is now proposed by, well, plant is going to be built with government funding, with our funding, taxpayer funding, is, according to documents that have been lodged with the New South Wales government, only expected to run 2% of the time. Mm. So it's kind of hard to work out how that's going to have a significant impact on price you know it it really is there only to weigh in at peak times when we really need the extra power yeah well well that's the thing it's sort of like it doesn't it doesn't that sort of cheaper power idea doesn't make sense at multiple levels as you've said one this is a peaking plant so it, it plugs in a very small percentage of the time, basically to back up back up the system when required. And at the moment, gas is the most expensive form of power, as you've said, right? So it's it's like a genuine head scratcher. How, I mean, look, the basic principles of high school economics tell you that if you increase the supply of something, if you if you significantly increase gas supply, which the government says it wants to do, then prices fall, but it doesn't necessarily translate that way. No, in the, no not at all. In, we could really go down the well, no, no, I know. here yes. and I will, I will try hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're um, rightly, you know, resisting my attempts. But look, one of the things we uh, – electric, just quickly, so electricity prices have been coming down. The government claims it and they're right. We just had data out this week from the um, the regulator. They, they were really low wholesale electricity prices, right? Which is not what, which is about a third of what we see in our bills. Yes, really low. They're really low because we have a lot of solar and wind coming in, and they're really low because we actually had a pretty mild summer, so there wasn't the same push on air conditioners. And when we use more air conditioners, prices go up. They're not really low because we have gas. Okay, what happens in a market? I know this sounds like. I'm adopting a slightly patronising tone here, but what what happens in a market when a coal plant is going to come out and Liddell has provided, you know, a not insignificant amount of electricity in New South Wales and into the national grid? If you take something out of the market, competition is reduced. You would think prices will go up a little bit, and in a if we're going to have a, a privately a private market rather than a market that's all government owned, 
someone will step and go, oh, there's an opportunity to make some money. I'll build a new bit of generation and and be able to turn a profit on it and then prices will come down and they'll find another level. And we're going to see a lot of that because we're going to see a lot of coal plants shutting and therefore a lot of replacement being built. But the market was telling us and the, and the market operator was telling us we didn't need new generation here. Mm. So there's no real reason to think that this is going to make a difference to price and it has not been explained how it will. Yes, beautifully put. Also, a bit of context that we should share is what the uh, International Energy Agency said this week. Yes. Sort of tying back, tying back this energy debate into the global shift that's on, the global shift towards low emissions, energy yeah. generation and, and uh, climate policy. So wh- what was that all about this week? That was a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a, it's a really significant report for a couple of reasons. So the International Energy Agency is a Paris-based organisation that we're a member of. Australia is a member of, as I think it's about 30 countries are, which has you know, does analyses of what's going to happen in energy, what's going to happen with prices, how much coal and oil and gas and renewables are we going to be using into the future globally. And it has been widely criticised in the past for being very cautious or conservative. Pro-fossil fuel, yes. (laughs) Uh, Underestimating what's going to happen with renewables dramatically, overestimating the need for fossil fuels in the future. And this has been this is a remarkable shift. This is a report that it's, been, it's responded to that pressure basically after years of this talk. It's looked, mapped out a pathway for what would be needed to get to net zero emissions globally by mid-century and to give us a chance of limiting global heating to as close to 1.5 degrees as possible, which is the goals of the Paris Agreement. And basically, you know, there, there are two key things it tells us. One is that's going to be bloody hard, but there's a narrow window through which we can do it. So it's still possible. Mm. So let's get moving. And getting moving means not building, no Not building that's it. gas plants in the Hunter? No more fossil fuel investments starting now. You know, no, and that no more coal, no more oil, no more gas. That's not the same as everything that's operating shuts today, but and there will be, and obviously existing infrastructure will continue. But do not build more new fossil fuels, which are supposed to have a future for decades. Right now, if you are serious about addressing this problem, mm. and, uh, and and the report I should note came out on the same day that the government announced it was building yes. the gas pipeline. It, it, it is a strange coincidence, coincidence of timing, but of course that's mm. not the only backdrop to the confirmation that the plant would proceed this week. There is also a by-election, a state by-election in that part of the world, in the Upper Hunter. I think it's it's not. Today, as in Saturday, it's it's next Saturday, I believe. There's another week, I think. Uh, Is that right? No, I, th- I think it's today. Oh, it's today. Oh, my God. Well, there you go. Okay, that is the other... That is... <laughs> that's the other moving part, right? So Better edit that out. Better edit that out. No, no, no. I'll, I'll let my ignorance stand. So state by-election in the Upper Hunter is, is another bit of atmospheric sitting behind the decision. Now... The very prominent uh, business commentator and and broadcaster Alan Kohler in a column this week said, well, rather firmly, I'm looking for the right word, that this plant in the Hunter, the, this snowy snowy hydro plant that we're talking about now, will never be built. And this is all about politicking and you know, he sort of pointed out the, the, the sort of confluence of events of the week that the 
IEA says no more fossil fuel developments. Ipso facto, the Australian government produces a new fossil fuel de- development. The Upper Hunter by-election is on. Ipso facto, this is all about politics and this won't ever be built. Can this be true, Adam? Uh, well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't – I mean, I'm interested in your – obviously, your take on the politics, that's more your area. I, look, clearly we knew uh, – Angus Taylor says, not, you know, rightly, that they were talking about approving this long before they knew there was going to be a state yes. uh, by-election. It's obviously entirely true that it's been timed – I mean, it, as an aside – and I don't live in New South Wales, so but the by-election seems nuts. It's a it's a like a microcosm of the Australian argument about fossil fuels. Don't get me wrong; the Upper Hunter is full of people who would work in fossil fuel industries, coal particularly, and would rightly be concerned about their future and would be looking for some reassurance about where they're going. But it seems very focused on coal forever arguments, which doesn't seem to be doing those people a great service. I wouldn't have thought, mm. given the international realities. That aside made, I don't – the timing could be, you know, being made to try and help in this election, but I wouldn't have thought that. In terms of whether it's never going to get built, I have my doubts. I mean, the government has made this commitment over a period of time. The money will be committed to Snowy Hydro. Labor, should an election happen before between now and it being built, is highly unlikely to say that it will rip the money away and, and end a process that's already in train. Um, if there's political will – I struggle to see why it wouldn't be built, but what do you think? Well, it, I, I confess I sort of did a double take because it's, as you say, it's had a, it's had such a long lead time. This whole conversation, we we've, we've basically been talking about this prospect of another plant in the Hunter since, well, really late last year. It's 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 sort of the conversation has spanned many, many months in many different iterations. Look, well, you and I have lived to see all kinds of extraordinary things happen, Adam, so it's possible that this is all uh, a political announcement which will uh, never eventual, eventuate, mm. uh, but... It, it seems it's sort of sort of unfathomable that really the an announcement like that could be made in a political context and uh, with nobody having any intention of proceeding even though as we've covered amply and we're not finished covering yet the rationale for this project is thin to non-existent so right there's been plenty of opportunities to pull, pull back. out right the, the government <laughs> does not have to do this it doesn't have to do this to win a state by election, and I don't think the federal government would be motivated by that. It might just be, you know, good timing. There's obviously the potential for that they might be trying to have a political motivation at a federal level. There, there are Labor seats, including Joel Fitzgibbons, who has been, as we know, quite critical of Labor's stance on fossil fuels, thinks they should have much more fossil fuel friendly approach in that area that the government could have its eye on in what will be probably another close election but all of even if that is the motivation which to some extent seems plausible i don't know why we think that they wouldn't follow through it seems to me there have been plenty of opportunities to pull out on this road why would you be pulling out after you've actually confirmed it well, it's, so I, it's a- I i mean as you say events could take us in all sorts of places but i don't think the government's going in with the intention of not doing it yeah it's sort of well it seems a bit like the triumph of hope over experience but well, um but sorry the other thing i didn't say and but the the iea report the suggestion that you know the global pressure and 
the reality of what is happening internationally will force the government's hand in some way or change this. But there's no evidence of that today. There's no reason to believe that. The government is obviously attempting to find a path that accommodates what's happening internationally and what it wants to see as its, its domestic political goals. But it's not walking away from fossil fuels. It's still putting money into gas. It put other, money into other gas projects in the budget. Mm. So I think this is the path that it's on. Mm. Well, it certainly seems that way. But anyway, we, as, as we both acknowledge, we've lived to see some very strange things. Now, a couple of other points that we should raise. The energy sector, so that's wholesalers and retailers, electricity and gas, have made the point this week, well, not just this week, to be frank, for, for quite some period of time, have been suggesting politely that if the government wants more private sector investment in the transition from fossil fuels to low emissions energy sources, then blundering around like a giant woolly mammoth in the middle of the market, arbitrarily intervening or not intervening, is not what will generate more private sector investment. They make the point there has been no policy since the, the, the carbon price that was repealed by Tony Abbott. So there's no sort of overarching mechanisms or policy certainty. That is That uncertainty is compounded by the government stomping about backing certain things but not other things. What do we make of this? Self-interest, truth bomb, what do we, what do we make of that line of argument? Mm, little from column A, little from column B. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it's, again, you know, it's a truism, isn't it, that if the government's intervening in the market, and it's not, and to be fair, you know, state governments are intervening as well, yep. that is going to further discourage uh, the private sector from investing. The private sector isn't squeaky clean here, and obviously its main the company's main priority is to be able to maximise their profits, not go, let's have the best, cheapest, smoothest running system in the grid that we could possibly have. They're not necessarily working against that, but that's not their job to make sure that happens. But I think they're right to say that government interference in the market will further dissuade private investment. Which seems logical. I mean, what do you think? Oh, no, I, I think it's entirely logical. But as you say, laced with a certain amount of self-interest, but entirely logical, which kind of leads us back to where we started, which is, does this story have a beginning? Well, the, if if this story does have a beginning, it's the absence of, I was, I was going to say optimal policy, but, <laughs> but it's, it's the absence of any policy. It's not even a question of whether it's optimal or second worst or, or third worst or fourth worst. It's just whether it exists or not. That's, that's kind of, that's the origins of the Hunter Valley gas plant is the absence of a coherent policy mechanism that would allow this transformation to play out and allow the market to lead it. But anyway, that's okay. One last thing before we end this therapy session, and we are very grateful to all of you for walking on the road with us as we process the inexplicable once again. There's there's a, there's a sort of watch this space issue that you and I agree we, we sort of need to get people's eyes on. One of the implications of Snowy Hydro building another gas plant in New South Wales is that that will make 
Snowy, a very, very dominant player in the energy market in New South Wales. Adam, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I mean, this is a very much a watch this space issue, I think. As I said earlier, Snowy Hydro has uh, already got a gas plant in New South Wales. It's obviously building Snowy Hydro 2.0, which is going to be a massive pumped hydro storage facility that's going to come online and, and you know play a major role in transforming the grid and also how the market works when it comes online later this decade, assuming it does as promised. And I've already got this other gas plant. Now they're going to have two. They're going to really be dominant players in the New South Wales in particular. They're, they're, they're public owned, but they're, the responsibility of their management is to turn a profit mm. for punters. Mm. Where at the same time, the government's priority is to keep prices down. Quite how those things are going <laughs> to line up. up if they have a power to control or at least have a significant say in where prices land is going to be interesting. And, and it's one of the many, many questions, Murph, that we have not had an answer to at this stage. <laughs> no, can, I, can I... Sorry, what... No, no, go on. No, no, no. Don't let... Well, I, I was going to move away and ask you a question. I mean, I... I have you ever seen... I know we see remarkable things in policymaking all the time, and <laughs> politics is, you know, ugly beast. But have you ever ever seen anything quite as remarkable about this where there is so little justification from any direction and when arguments are put against it, the rebuttal does not take them down? There's not even, you know... the. It doesn't matter what your ideological position is, you can make an argument against, against this gas plant if you could look into the facts and listen to what the experts have to say. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Well, I, I did, uh, and this is why I sort of reference Kohler in a way, because, look, Alan might be right, he's, he's uh, a very eminent com commentator, but that, that triumph is. of hope over experience, it's kind of like, oh, did we ever think we'd get here? Well, sadly... Yes, yes, I, I had a sort of strong suspicion we might get here. The thing that's sort of most objectionable about it from my perspective is th the lack of truth in any of the framing and the arguments. And that's sort of, I guess, what we've been trying to do in this conversation is fact check some of the rationales and, and, and justifications for this project. If Scott Morrison or Angus Taylor approached a podium with a microphone anywhere proximate to themselves and said to the Australian voting public, look, we've made a massive hash of climate and energy policy for more than a decade. Such a hash, in fact, that uh, now we've got to get taxpayers to basically purchase the most expensive insurance policy that you could possibly buy, i.e. construct a gas peaking plant, $600 million, on the off chance that batteries don't come on stream fast enough to do the job we need it to do in terms of providing dispatchable energy in New South Wales after Liddell, if they were just honest about it, if they just said, look, this is the consequence of reckless policy, rancid politics, sorry, guys, here's the bill, for what we have perpetrated over the last decade, well, then you could almost respect that. You mm. could almost sort of say, okay, 
well, that's pretty bad, but at least the rationale is truthful. I think that's the most egregious thing from my perspective is that there is that phenomenon that you have described, Adam, which is that reason doesn't seem to count. You and I can talk for 30 minutes about why this really doesn't make any sense. And neither you nor I are looking at this through an ideological lens. It's just the facts of the energy market, the facts of the economics of the energy market, the facts of the engineering of the energy market, and you can draw certain conclusions and scratch your head about why crazy things are going on. But it's just what what makes me what what really gets me going about this is that and this is why I started our conversation in the way that I did is there a beginning with this story well you bet there's a beginning with this story and you can also bet that that's why we're at this point where literally the taxpayers are ensuring we are all paying 600 million dollars through snowy to basically ensure ourselves against reckless policy making in this area. I think it's completely egregious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been laughing a bit in this conversation <laughs> and and maybe you got to, but, it, you know, it's really not actually funny, well, right? Well, it's, 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 uh, and there is, uh, uh, look, there's a scenario, um, experts will tell you there's a scenario under which you can say, well, Maybe the government's thinking if we were to be incredibly generous, and it's certainly not something they say themselves, that they're thinking, well, actually, we think a lot of coal is going to shut early mm. and we're going to need an all of the above approach. And that's going to mean we need gas. And there are things that gas can do. It'll be more expensive than batteries and pumped hydro and demand management. But there are things that gas can do at this point that they can't. If there's a long gap, they need to fill in the market. So maybe we need everything. But you, there, there are obviously other ways to prepare for that rather than trump up $600 million of our money, taxpayers' money. I know, not technically our money, but public money. And it would require also acknowledging that we want a rapid transition yes. and we're preparing for it to drive it because climate change is a real problem. We'd like, you know, the government likes to say that Alan Finkel, the former chief scientist, has said that gas is the perfect complement for solar and wind, but they don't say the half of what he says, which is that but we should be using as little of it as possible because it is part of what causes the climate crisis, mm. right? Mm. There are emissions attached to it. So if we, it goes back to, you know, if we had an honest argument that said, we'd rather not be using gas, but we think that we need to to make this thing work. Maybe you could land this in a way that stood up, but, it, you know, that isn't happening. Mm. Well, I'm sorry to end on that somewhat sombre note, dear listeners. We appreciate uh, you <laughs> you joining Adam and me for our therapy session about the Hunter Valley gas plant at Curry Curry. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Hannah Izzard, who is listening. Hello, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who is the EP of the show. Uh, like I said, sorry to end on the sombre note. We we got a few laughs in, though, before the world ended, Adam, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we did. Do we want to, you know, we could buy into the, hey, the world is moving argument, you know? No, let's not. Feel optimistic. That. No, that's it. <laughs> do you want me to try that on? No, 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 let's not do that. Anyway, uh, if you're feeling optimistic this Saturday morning, get in touch with Adam or me on social media. We're, we're quite prominent there. Send us a happy thought. We could probably use it. Until we all meet again, take care.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.